Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast, brought to you by Coordination.com, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. I am your host, Greg Mahochko, joined as always by the substitute host of the year. When I'm not here, he has the reins and takes charge. That's Todd Wolverton. Hello, Todd. How's it going, Greg? How are things in Illinois for you tonight? Uh, well, some Christmas decorations are up, uh, both inside and out. I have a few complaints. Life is good. There you go. It's not the good life, but life is good. <laughs> How and, and things are going well with you? Yeah, they are. Um, I've had a busy couple of weeks, been out and about with to quite a few schools in Nebraska. And um, as I mentioned, when we came on, I'm back in Iowa tonight, going to spend a couple of weeks working remote from here. So um, yeah, things are good. I, I went from a beautiful day in the fifties in Lincoln to it's really cold and supposed to snow tomorrow. So I'm not sure that was a good trade-off. Well, you're out there on the recruiting trail doing the Lord's work. So we're proud of you getting all those schools. Yeah. <laughs> uh, coming back to the five heart podcast for the first time in, in a while. Uh, she is here to uh, dazzle us with her intellect and her expertise uh, of all things volleyball, Beth Merrigan, Beth, welcome back. Thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been a minute since I've been on the podcast, but I'm glad to be here. I, I feel like uh, that that's you know I feel bad. You know the the volleyball is the one of the premier uh, sports at the University of Nebraska. Shame on us. We should have you on more often. Well, we have well, talked about that. We have said <laughs> on more than one occasion we really should have Beth here if we're going to talk about this. So. Well, volleyball is. I love and lots of people love it, but you know, the road to hell is without talking about it. The road to hell paved with good intentions. So (laughs) that is what, uh, so we're breaking the format folks. Uh, we're doing things a little bit different. We're breaking this show up into two halves. Uh, and the first half we're going to be talking predominantly about volleyball. And in the second half, yes, there's been some Husker football news, uh, a little moving and shaking. So we're going to address them in uh, the back half of the show, but Beth is here. So it's all things volleyball. And Beth was so kind to remind me that Nebraska and Illinois play tonight. So usually you get the five heart podcast on Friday. I said, it doesn't really make much sense to drop this episode on Friday. And Beth's like, before we start rolling sound, she says, maybe Thursday's a good day to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for keeping me in line, Beth. I appreciate you. Yeah, Illinois and Nebraska are going to play tonight, 8.30 Central Time. They're in Texas. Um, Texas is the host, and they are playing in the Sweet 16, Illinois and Nebraska. They'll play right after Texas plays against Washington in the first uh, match in that regional. This this is uh, an Illinois squad that Nebraska has handled, uh, you know, a couple of times uh, here in the regular season. They haven't lost a set to the Illini in all of 2021. Um, before we get talking too much, uh, you know, predictions and things like that for for tonight's volleyball match, I'm I have to eat some crow, uh, and and Todd knows this, John would too, <laughs> because I said I don't know if this team has been playing. It. Full disclosure: I have watched zero volleyball this year. So everything that I'm going is, you know, like a coordination headliner article here and there when, when it pops up in my feed. Uh, but I, I said, I don't just didn't know if they'd 
were playing consistently enough to make a deep run in the tournament. Uh, Beth, tell me all the reasons why I'm wrong. I'm prepared. <laughs> you have reasons to doubt their long run. They're playing freshmen and freshmen are inconsistent regardless of how talented they are. So all season long, Nebraska started um, two or three freshmen. So um, Lexi Rodriguez starts as the libero and she's been consistent and always in that libero starting role. They've started Lindsay Krause on the right side for most of the season. She's had a little bit of a break here and there, but when she has a break, they start another freshman named Whitney Lowenstein. And then on the outside has been the biggest variable. Um, Allie Batenhorst is the freshman and Lexi Sun is the senior who have been flipping back and forth in that position. And um, sometimes they get kills and sometimes they don't. And so because they don't always get those kills and the outside position is such a pivotal position for a team. If they're not getting kills, you're not winning. If they're not getting kills, you're not consistently winning. If they're not getting kills, you just don't know what to expect from your own team. So you have reasons to doubt, but you also have reasons to believe that they will be able to make a deep run and they have all the potential in the world, right? Like they have this um, limitless potential because these freshmen have not even come, come close to their potential. Allie Batenhorst is probably playing at like 50% of her potential. That's crazy that she is one of the best freshmen in the Big Ten. And she's even like half as good as she can be with some more training, with some more consistency, with some more hardening, right? She has to get better at playing consistent, but they have all the potential and they sure could surprise somebody late in the tournament like this weekend when they play the number two team, Texas. And I think uh, part of my, the, the seeds of doubt were, were planted end of October, beginning of November, when uh, the ladies did something highly uncharacteristic and they lost three of four. Now, granted, they lost three of four to, you know, uh, ranked teams. It's the Big Ten. You're hard pressed to find uh, a team that's not ranked unless you're talking about Iowa. Iowa's horrible. It's fun. Uh, but, uh, you know, losses to Wisconsin, Minnesota, Ohio State with, with a win in there to the Illini. Uh, not the best stretch. Uh, for the the Huskers, but they they figured it out with the one hiccup there towards the very end, right after Thanksgiving, losing to Wisconsin. Wisconsin's been, uh, I mean, Wisconsin. You know, they're like Nebraska. I would say historically, obviously, Nebraska is right near the top. Penn State, I think, is up there as well. But Wisconsin is, you know, like one B, perhaps. Yeah, the loss to Wisconsin was was tough because they lost in three. It was not very competitive. It was to be concerned. Um, the interesting part though, is Wisconsin beat Nebraska twice and convincingly Nebraska beat Purdue twice and played really well and looked like that team that we could see the potential in and then complete the triangle. Purdue beat Wisconsin twice. So this, you know, equation that doesn't really add up to anything is that, there are matchups that work and there are matchups that don't work, depending on who you're cheering for. And um, the matchup between Wisconsin and Nebraska has gone Wisconsin's way for a couple seasons now. And um, I, I don't know what you do to solve that. You know, there's teams that beat Wisconsin and they are beatable. Definitely. We've watched it happen in the national championship a couple years in a row. So they're, they're a beatable team, but Nebraska has not been able to beat them. 
suppose the good news is you're, they don't have to beat them until they get to the championship game for the national championship, but somebody may beat them before then. Um, I don't think just losing to Wisconsin means that they're not a national caliber team. I think that matchup is a bad one for Nebraska. Um, I think that they can match up against some other teams and, and then win like Purdue. Beth, I have, I have a question too that I'd like to throw out. You know, you were talking consistency earlier and, you know, obviously you explained it really well from the perspective of the freshmen. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, the two, for lack of a better term, the super seniors. Um, you know, I, I think when volleyball fans and then Nebraska fans that like to watch volleyball, when they all, when we all heard, you know, that Lexi's son was going to come back and Lauren Stevens was going to come back, well, Lauren Stevens, if her back was going to be okay, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there were some pretty high hopes with that. And, you know, I first of all, I want to qualify it and say, I don't think you, there's any substitute for Lauren Stiverin's leadership. I mean, you know, that is just absolutely critical. But I, I'm actually um, surprised, you know, because those two ladies came back and I don't think they're playing, from my perspective, they're not playing at the same level they did, you know, a year ago. And, you know, Lexi's been in and out of the lineup. Obviously, you mentioned that. Um, I just I just question whether or not Lauren Stevens' body is holding together. Um, it just doesn't seem that she's got the explosiveness that she's had in the past. Uh, am, am I looking at that uh, in a similar way? You might see it, or, or or correct me if I'm wrong. I guess. I I think so. I, it's always hard to tell with injuries if they are 100. If they're not. Um, with a back injury, I, I do believe that probably Lauren is either still recovering or having some pain, something with that back injury. Um, Lexi's son, I have more of an opinion on. I have more of a, I, I think she's always been inconsistent. I think she's always been an up and down player where she's producing kills and then not. And I think it's match to match. I think she has really good matches. And then she has matches where she just doesn't do very much. And um, there wasn't a sub last year for her really. Um, and so I, I haven't been surprised that she's been not playing as much this year. I think there has to be a different answer when you don't have a consistent outside. <clears throat> there has to be somebody who can consistently give you kills like Maddie Kubik, you know, she, she has other things that she doesn't do quite as well. She doesn't block as well as Lexi's son, but she always gives you kills. And with the number of sets that every team in the country gives their outsides, that player or players, hopefully of two, gives you kills consistently. And Lexi's son goes up and down and maybe her downs weren't as big last year. I'd have to evaluate some numbers there, but I am not surprised that with her up and down play that there is a look for something more consistent, something with more potential, because I think in all of her years in Nebraska, she's been, she's been up and down. She's been more up than down. She's yeah. been an all American. That's amazing. Right. Um, but I don't think any of us could call her the most consistent player. As we've kind of seen how, this national tournament has gone. What have been some of the bigger surprises, Beth? Uh, I mean, I look at, again, I, I'm on the fringe 
follower, you know, I, I like so many Husker fans, I follow Nebraska because it's Nebraska. And as I admitted earlier, I didn't even haven't watched any this year. Um, but what are some of the big surprises from this tournament? Uh, maybe that that you didn't see coming. I sure didn't see Illinois coming. I didn't think much of them in the Big Ten season. I thought Michigan was better than them. Um, I even could have put them even with Maryland and Maryland didn't even make the tournament. Michigan got bumped out in the first round by a Mac team, Ball State. So I am surprised by Illinois. I didn't see a lot of potential in them in the season. Um, so I'm surprised they're here. I thought Kentucky was going to be a really tough matchup for Nebraska. They That's who Illinois beat in the last round. So thanks, Illinois. <laughs> Kentucky's not here. That, I think, would have been a tough one for Nebraska. They're just a really fast team and of course, last year's national champions. So Illinois is a surprise for me. Um, I think they picked up their serving. They served really tough against Kentucky and they played a ton of defense. Nothing hit the floor against Kentucky and they were an okay defensive team all year, but they played next level defense um, against Kentucky. So Illinois is a surprise. Um, Kansas is an obvious surprise. Um, they beat Creighton in the last round and Creighton, um, was the 14 seed and lost their star outside hitter in the first round to an injury. And they just weren't the same team without her. You know, they made some adjustments in the lineup, but I was surprised to see Creighton go out because I thought they would make it this far. Um, they were, they were a quality team this year. Um, I thought Creighton would make it this far. Um, Georgia tech for me, the first surprise was their seeding in the tournament. They're the eight seed. I don't, I don't understand it. I've talked about it. I've written about it. I do not know why they're the number eight seed. They've won in straight sets. So I might be way off here. They're playing Ohio State in this next round. So maybe they beat Ohio State. I'll just stop talking about Georgia Tech. They're a good team, period. But right now, I don't get it. They've lost. They've not beaten very many teams this year. So I'm surprised that they were ranked at all. They should have been in the tournament, but they should not have been ranked eighth. I look at some of the other, you know, perennial powerhouses uh, and, and it's been fun in you know, looking back at the last decade, uh, you know, that Nebraska has been in the big 10 and the Nebraska Penn state matchup is always uh, intense. And so to see that they're out of the tournament, uh, is it, was it a down year for, for the Nittany Lions this year or, or is Pitt, you know, better than perhaps uh, people anticipated? Yeah, Pitt's been on the rise for a little while. Um, they've had this upswing, and I, I won't say a number of years, but they've had a, a quite a number of years here where they've been in a, a, a good position in the tournament. Um, Penn State was good this year. They had two really key transfers. Adonna Rollins is an outside hitter. She transferred from Minnesota. And um, another outside hitter transferred from Maryland. Both excellent players but they only had one year playing inside that system. And, and Russ Rose, the coach at Penn State, he runs a system. He runs a, um, a whole idea of volleyball. And so to only have one season there, I don't think that they quite got into that system. But I think Penn State was really good this year. I think they could have gotten a seed. Um, I think they were the toughest round matchup, you know, for Pitt. Like that was one of the hardest matches in that second round. Um, for Pitt and for Penn State, I think they did it because of the regionalness of them. But had they sent 
Penn State out to Washington or something. I, I think they could still be in the tournament, um, but they played the number three team and they're out. But I would not have called it a down year for Penn State. Um, I think they I think they had a lot of the pieces of all the teams that they have. They have great defense. They have great blocking. Um, they always have a spunky setter who's going to, you know, mess with you and talk in your face. And they had that. And so, um, no, I, I think that they were just as good. And Russ Rose has shown he knows how to use the transfer portal. And so I fully expect he's going to, you know, reload any pieces he's missing next year through the transfer, through recruits. Um, I wanted to play for Russ Rose, who he's a great coach. He's a he's a person that knows the game and a lot of women would love to play for him. Talk to me about, about the regions specifically, because you mentioned, you know, the, the regionness and the proximity between Pitt and Penn state and, and, and the possibility of, of, uh, you know, Nittany lines maybe still being in the tournament if they were out to Washington, of course, Nebraska's in uh, the Texas regional. Uh, how does what I feel like, you know, when the selection committee is making the, the March madness, uh, you know, brackets, they're like, there's a dart. Let's, you know, the, you know, we, we have, the, these are our, our top four seeds, et cetera. We're, it doesn't, there's no geographic sense to it. Uh, but is it uh, having, you know, the, the full brackets not loading for me? So I can't see, okay, the Southeast region is, you know, ACC, SEC, you know, type teams. How, how is it uh, figured out in, in volleyball? So they do a couple different things. You know, they make sure that in those first two rounds, conference opponents don't play each other. And they do try to um, get teams together regionally. So like we're talking about Pitt and Penn State, but that doesn't always pan out. And this year it didn't pan out as much as it does in other years. Um, So for instance, um, Hawaii and Mississippi State played in Washington. (laughs) So those teams had to go a long ways, both of them to play at Washington. the host schools are determined by the seed. And, and I think that's similar to March Madness. So all the top 16 teams host. The difference here, though, is that the volleyball um, committee doesn't rank every team. They only rank 16 teams. And then, um, you know, the rest are at large bids. They're the winners of their conferences, those 32 teams. And the rest, they're, they're just sort of scattered around trying to do it regionally, but also respecting the no conference opponents in those first two rounds. So I think it's a balancing act. And if I'm to guess that bottom right corner where Washington hosted was where they ended. And that's where they had leftover schools where they said, Oh, well, Mississippi state's going to Washington and Hawaii's going to watch. There wasn't a regional team for them, I guess. Todd, uh, jump in here anytime. Drive me nuts with your silence because it's not like I, I do. No, I, I actually do have you know some questions too that I want to fire away here. I know that in the last couple of broadcasts since uh, the All Big Ten uh, teams were named, um, uh, Lauren Cook West has well, and, and John Baylor as well. They've made uh, quite a big deal out of the fact that Kayla Caffey was uh, did not receive any uh, postseason recognition and. Um, I was surprised. Um, I would think that a lot of people were surprised by that. Uh, was she robbed? I mean, you know, I hate to use, be that blunt, but it seems to me that that young lady should have had some kind of recognition at the end of the year. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I, 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 I was really surprised. The only thing I could think, and I don't think they could have come up with like a plan because I, I think the way it works is the coaches all get a ballot and they vote and then they just compile the results. So it's not like the coaches were saying, but what I felt like is Nebraska got three first team players, which was more than other teams. And then maybe they, the concession was there were less second team players where maybe Kathy would have landed. Um, she was named to the all regional team. I think those came out yesterday and players named to the all regional team are eligible for all American. And those are the only players eligible for all American. And unfortunately there's a, um, percentage of games you have to participate in and Lauren Stiverns didn't participate in enough of them. So she was not all regional, although she was all conference. So Kayla Caffey is all region. She's eligible for all American honors. And then Lauren Stiverns is not. Also on the all-regional team was Maddie Kubik, uh, Lexi Rodriguez, and Nicklin Haynes. So all those players are now eligible to be in those all-American teams. So yeah, Kayla Caffey is, she's excellent and she makes a big difference. Um, she pounds balls. A lot of teams have to double block her and a double block on the middle means that both of the outside hitters, the right side and the left side, either have a hole in their block because the middle is late to get there on blocking because they were blocking Kayla. Um, or there's only one blocker, which is a great situation for your outside hitters. Um, she's a good blocker. Um, she, she's such a dynamic player. She makes it such a big difference for Nebraska. And when Lauren Stevens was out, she was playing a different position and still making a really big difference. She was one of our most consistent players in the beginning parts of the season um, and potentially was that player steadying the ship, right? Beginning to get that rhythm and that groove for those younger players. So yes, Kayla Caffey should have been an all-conference player. There are so many good players across mm -hmm. the whole United States. Um, this gluttony of seniors and juniors and all these players that are playing longer. Um, and we're going to have this problem potentially for four more years, right? If people keep using this extra year of eligibility, and we're going to have all these super seniors for four more years. Um, I, I, I think for that reason, Kayla was left off. There were just so many good players across the Big Ten. I mean, Purdue's whole roster is super seniors. Wisconsin's whole roster is super seniors. Um, and, and you could look at it on the other end of the spectrum. We're looking at these freshmen for the first time, but these are also the players that um, are coming on the back end of this, you know, juggernaut of great players. And the next group after them is going to play behind all these great players and, and for years after this. So I think there's a lot of players that are being impacted by the great amount of players that are excellent playing in the NCAA right now. I, I get why they did it, but this is the result is we have players left off that should have been all conference and players on the bench that are amazing. I was um, I was listening to the radio. I had a lot of drive time today, and so I, I got to listen to a lot of talk radio. And one of the comments that I heard in reference to the Cornhusker volleyball team um, was, you know, they they flowed down to Texas, and um, the the commentator said that it appears they are very honed in on wanting to play Texas. And as a matter of fact, when the initial brackets came out. There, you know, I, we all know coach speak. We all know what players are supposed to say. You know, we take them one at a time, you know, and we got Campbell first. We'll worry about whoever after that game. 
but a lot of the Nebraska players were really happy that they were assigned to the same region as Texas. They want a shot at Texas, um, you know, for some redemption, I'm sure, from last year, but it's just a rival that Nebraska has had for years. So how do you think, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you know, all us volleyball experts, we made our prediction <laughs> about how far we thought the Nebraska volleyball team would get. And I think the consensus was sweet 16, maybe the elite eight, you know, we're, we're so sharp about this, but when you look at this, I think Nebraska really is primed potentially for a final four spot, take care of business with Illinois match up with Texas. Give, you know, let's, let's move into that a little bit and give us, give us your thoughts about the, the two games that are possibly two games that are coming up. Yeah. I, I predicted Nebraska would lose to Kentucky. So we know that's not going to happen now. Um, I do think Nebraska will do well against Illinois. I think they have to focus on Illinois tomorrow or tonight. I think they have to serve really tough. Um, Illinois will uh, make serve, serve, receive errors. If we let them, if we give them tough balls to pass, they will not pass them well. And <clears throat> their offense is to the outsides. They don't set too many middles but they have really great outsides. Raina Terry is a sophomore outside hitter for Illinois. She is phenomenal. She hits through balls or her th blocks. She hits around blocks. She hits off blocks. She is, she is their Maddie Kubik. Um, and they have a fifth year player, Megan Cooney, who's played forever. John Baylor always talks about how she's been playing since I was a kid. Um, <laughs> she has been around a long time. She's a fifth year player and she's played all five years. Um, so I think we'll get through Illinois, focusing on Illinois, um, playing good defense against them, serving them really tough. And then, of course, we have to serve receive well. They're a good serving team. They're not a great serving team. So we should be able to pass their balls and run our offense. We are a very good team when we don't set just our outsides, when our offense is dynamic. And not only is the ball going to different hitters, but those hitters are hitting in different spots. So when Lauren Stiffens hits the slide all the way to the pin, that's great. When she hits the next ball right behind Nicklin's head, that's excellent. When she hits the next ball in front of Nicklin's head, we're doing wonderful. That changing ball to each player, um, Maddie Kubik hits the first ball all the way out to the left pin. And then the next ball is two feet in. It's called a 33. It's three feet high and a three feet in on the net. When she hits that next ball in there, we're very good. So we have to move our hitters around and we have to set all of our hitters. Um, beating Texas, from my perspective, um, there's three really big things that have to happen. Um, we have to serve excellent. You know, Akana is serving dancing balls to those passers. Um, they're a good passing team. They try to pass with two most of the time so that their hitters are not in their passing rotation. That takes some stress off of them and lets them just float out to get ready for their hit. So we have to serve excellent against Texas. And then our defense, which means our block and our floor defense have to be great. Um, Texas has four hitters that hit the ball, just like Kayla Caffey. They pound the ball. They just sh give you a shot. And so if our block touches that ball, our defense has to get it up. There's no, 
maybe I'll go after that ball. We have to get the ball up if our block touches it. Our block has to block some balls too. So the block touch and then the block as a full defense, putting the ball back in Texas's face um, is critical. And then we have to be, have low errors on our attacks. We cannot make really more than two or three errors per set as attackers. Um, of course, we have to kill the ball. So killing the ball means we're attacking hard. We're shooting different shots at them. Um, but beating Texas, I think, requires a really great match for us. Yeah. Going to have to play probably the best game they've played all year. I mean, they're just good. So. But it's that time of year. Yeah. And, and I feel like we're getting an Illinois team uh, tonight that is coming in with a lot of confidence, uh, you know, doing uh, what the experts, uh, including yourself, Beth, uh, uh, didn't think that they would do, which is beat Kentucky. Um, and, you know, they probably got a little vengeance on their mind from being blanked by Nebraska uh, here in the regular season. Before we get to, to predictions, I, I just – Will you remember us at Coronation when some, you know, national company comes in and takes you away for your volleyball an- analysis? I'm not going anywhere, but okay. I, I'll remember you always. You say that, but then you, you drop pins and slides and 33s. And I'm just like, <laughs> yep, that sounds like something. Definitely sounds like something. So um, we're lucky. Uh, very fortunate, Beth, to have you here at, at Coronation and uh, and bringing all of your volleyball wisdom. So thank you. Uh, let's get into a round of uh, predictions for tonight's match against Illinois in the regional semifinal. Uh, we'll start with you, Todd. I think Nebraska is going to play very tough. I, I don't expect Illinois to win a set. I, I I think that the I think that the team. Yeah, you know, John Cook is the best coach in the country, and. Uh, and it took over 30, for, it for, took 31 and a half minutes for John Cook's name to be brought up. <laughs> and I feel bad coach cook. If you're listening, I apologize. Um, because you're right. He he's, he's the, the goat of, of and, volleyball and coaches. He, he will have that team ready to play. Um, so I, I think they'll be, I think they'll beat Illinois, you know, three Oh, that, that would be my expectation. I, I just thought thought this uh, while you were talking about your prediction there, Todd. Nebraska is it, it's a comedy of riches. We have the greatest volleyball coach, and then you know Todd will will at least mention it, so you you don't feel too out of place. We have the greatest wrestling coach, also. You know, uh, it, okay. Well, all right. I, one I, of the greatest. Okay, fine. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, I was going to say Nebraska 3-1. Uh, however, I like Todd's uh, optimism, so I'll say 3-0. And, and uh, we'll, we'll send Iowa back to this state um, crying in there. What, what is Illinois' favorite fast food? I can't remember now. But it's not Portillo's. good. Portillo's. Fast food. It, it's probably something like Hardee's. It, it's ridiculous. Uh, all right, Beth, uh, what's your prediction for tonight's match, Nebraska-Illinois? I think I know where you're leaning, but enlighten me and entertain me as always. Yeah, I like these times where there's a long period before the match to prepare because I think Coach Cook gets them very ready to play. He zeroes them in on the strategy and the game plan. I think he has great match prep for this team, and he's got some great assistant coaches with him. I think they're 3-0 against Illinois, 
and they're, they're serving tough. They have a pinpoint game plan going into the Illinois match. Then I like that there's a game, a day off between the next match against probably Texas if they get past 15 Washington and, and they've got some game prep going on there too. So I like that there's a game day off between Thursday night match and Saturday night match um, for the elite eight. We're all excited to watch. Uh, or we're excited for, it. I don't know if I'll be able to watch, uh, but uh, we are excited for uh, Husker volleyball and uh, where can they, will it be on ESPN? ESPN U, I believe is what I think is on the bracket. Yeah. ESPN U is this round. And then I don't know what they're doing for the final four. All I'm saying is once again, women's volleyball disrespected. You know it, right? I mean, come on, at least put it on two. At least put it on the dose. <laughs> so, Beth, I want to thank you so much. Uh, let's not let it be as long as it has been till the next time you come on the show. Uh, and Todd, eh, you're here too. So, <laughs> Greg, I know we got just a couple minutes. I just uh, just a shout out to John. You know, John's not with us tonight. He's actually in Texas. Um, you know, his uh, oldest brother uh, passed recently, and. Uh, you know, John comes from a, a good-sized family. He's the he's the baby of the family by many many years. Um, but John, we're we're thinking about you. I didn't know if it was my place to say you know John better, so I'm glad you did. So you have the whole Johnston family. Um, yeah, thoughts and prayers. So uh, nice way to bring us down, Todd. Uh, go big red. We'll bring us back up. Uh, hey, if they're gonna if, if John's gonna be in Texas, you know he's gonna be cheering on the Huskers tonight against Illinois in, uh, in, in the Austin regional, Texas regional, whatever we want to call it. Beth, again, thank you so much. And can't wait to uh, uh, check out that headline and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll click for you. I'll click uh, that, that reads Nebraska has defeated Illinois and uh, uh, ascended to the regional championship. That's not the right word. I couldn't think of the right word, but I digress. Uh, we'll take a timeout uh, when we come back. Uh, there's been some moving and some shaking in the world of Nebraska football. A couple of coaching hires became official this week. I'll be talking with Tyler and Brian after the break here on the Five Heart Podcast. Welcome back to the Five Heart Podcast. Greg Mahachko here for the second half of the show. And again, a reminder, make sure you tune in tonight uh, to ESPNU if that's a channel that's on your uh, cable or internet or uh, satellite package for Nebraska volleyball against Illinois. I think they should just put it on the Big Ten Network, but those decisions are above my pay grade. We're going to switch gears, talk Husker football, because it's been a surprisingly busy week in the offseason for the Huskers and uh, joined by, oh, I'm already going to get it wrong, Tyler Weisler. You got it right. Brian Johannes. Two yep. guys from Coronation. Uh, and we're going to talk about some of the uh, coaching hires that just came down the pipe uh, this week. Uh, as we're recording this on Wednesday, it was today. It was made official. We have an offensive corner. We have an offensive line coach. Uh, but we can talk certainly about uh, the uh, – bringing in of Mickey Joseph from last week, which we touched on uh, with uh, Todd and John a week ago. Uh, but first of all, let, let's uh, get you guys uh, welcomed back to the show. Tyler, how are you, man? Good, good, good. It's been a, it's been a whirlwind last couple of weeks, you know, the hiring, the firings and hirings, but uh, 
Uh, I'm excited to see what uh, what these new additions in the coaching staff are bring to the table. So, Brian, uh, first of all, hey, welcome back to the Five Heart Podcast. And two, uh, you, do we think that it's a addition by subtraction overall? With you look at the past month or so. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the moves. I felt like they needed to make a change. I wouldn't say the offense was broken. I just think it needed a fresh paint of coat. And and I think the additions that they made, um, I like them. I, I think there's obviously names out there that, that we would have liked better. But I think given the circumstances with a coach that's coaching for his, his job, um, I think he got some pretty good, pretty good uh, hires made. Probably not the sexiest picks. You know, if you think about it, um, but let's start. I mean, honestly, let's start at the offensive coordinator um, that was announced today um, and veteran guy. He's been around the game of football for a long time uh, in a lot of different capacities, both uh, several levels at, at the college uh, level uh, and, and also in the NFL. So when we talk about um Oh, hell, Whipple. I can't even think of his first name now. Uh, Mark. Mark. Thank you. Uh, it's It's been a day. Um, so we talk <laughs> about Mark Whipple. What What do you guys foresee are, are some of his bigger strengths uh, in, in, you know, what he's going to hope to accomplish in Lincoln? I guess, Tyler, we'll start with you. Um, well, I think the most recent evidence you can point to is his work at Pitt working as the OC and quarterbacks coach for Kenny Pickett. Now, Kenny Pickett, uh, for most people, probably seems like he's been at Pitt for a decade, but, you know, he's been a four-year starter and uh, was good, not great, as uh, as Pitt's starting quarterback. But uh, over the past several seasons that uh, Coach Whipple has been, been uh, tutoring him, you've really seen a growth and maturity in the way he handles himself and conducts himself as a quarterback. And that's why you see him now as a uh, potential first round pick. Um, he's obviously got experience in the NFL, uh, Cleveland Browns uh, quarterbacks coach um, led the UMass Minutemen to an FCS title before their transition to uh, the FBS level. Um, so he, he has done it at every level and uh, been successful. So that part of it, I am very, very uh, much looking forward to, to see what he does, not only with the quarterbacks we have on this roster, but potentially uh, whatever transfer quarterback uh, we manage to land. Ryan, let's talk specifically about quarterbacks. Um, in, in part of his coaching history, uh, Whipple was quarterback's coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers, including the first three years of Ben Roethlisberger's career. Uh, now it, it, I'm a Steelers fan. Uh, so my ears perked up at that. Cause I don't, you know, I remember head coaching names and maybe, you know, the coordinators, but I don't get into the, you know, I don't di deep dive that far into it, uh, anymore. Um, but you know, it was a different Steelers football team, uh, when you go back that many years, you know, like 17 years, almost, you know, something like that. Uh, but it, it was it's not the, the Pittsburgh Steelers now, which is definitely more focused on, on Ben Roethlisberger and his arm and, and receivers. It was, it was Jerome Bettis. It was, you know, line up, move the, you know, move the offensive line uh, or offensive line, move the defensive line, run the ball. It was power running Steeler football, but they also won a Super Bowl. 
with a young quarterback uh, in his second year. So is that the type of quarterback that, you know, Mark Whipple is, is most accustomed to is, is someone, you know, I I talked about this on on the show last week is I don't necessarily need uh, the number four dual threat quarterback, no offense, Logan Smothers. I want a good arm who can extend a play with his legs if he needs to. Is that the type of, of quarterback that Mark Whipple's most accustomed to working with, Brian? Yeah, I mean, you look at his scheme, it's, uh, you know, spread. I've heard him call it as a spread. Um, I went and watched three pit games today, um, Clemson, Western Michigan, and uh, Tennessee. And it reminded me a lot of the, if you remember when Bill Callahan was hired, um, they talked about, the defense having to cover the entire length of the field horizontally in that. And I saw a lot of that in Whipple's offense, uh, you know, Kenny Pickett, who he had this year, Heisman trophy finalist. Um, I think he's, I think he's a lock first round pick. It's, it's a debate now if a team's going to pick him in the top 10. I, I don't know if I would, but uh, Pickett's a guy that is a pocket passer. Uh, he's got good mobility and they would get him off, off on the edge. He would, they, they ran a few designed runs for him, but like everywhere he's gone, it's been that prototypical drop back quarterback. Um, I think he's evolved a little bit because, you know, you watch him play and, and they kind of put Pickett on the move, but he's going to want to drop back and, and have his quarterbacks throw the ball. So um, I think that's, the, that's kind of the quarterback that I think Nebraska is going to be looking at in the transfer portal. And, you know, hopefully this, this works and that's the quarterbacks that they start recruiting. But it does seem like that offensive philosophy is at odds with what Scott Frost has been trying to do, especially maybe I'll, I'll put an asterisk next to that because when we look at 2021, it was a lot more option than we had seen, uh, you know, in, in the previous three years. Was that situational based on the quarterback that we had? I mean, is, is Scott – this is going to sound like I'm knocking him, but Scott Frost doesn't really strike me as the kind of guy who's going to try to, um, like, make a lot of changes. Like, I feel like he's, he's going to try to pound the square peg into the round hole to make it work. Is, is that – is that an off assumption uh, on my part? But because I feel like at times he's been just a little bit stubborn. No, I, I definitely think you're right. And, you know, we look at his previous stops, you know, in Oregon, they, they threw the ball quite a bit, um, but they still had that, that zone read type look, you know, central Florida, they were still running it too. So I don't, I think if they got guys that can do it, but, and, and I think Whipple's a guy that can adapt and who knows, maybe, you know, they're bringing in Whipple for the, the passing game portion of it. And they're going to keep a lot of their run based stuff. I, I mean, it'll be, it'll be fascinating to see what happens. Cause you know, Whipple looks like he's, you know, drop back throw frost. Like we said, is, you know, we ran a lot of, I really like that option that we ran, but um, it'll be curious. Maybe frost doesn't feel he can run that in the big 10 and, and have his quarterback stay healthy. I mean, who, I mean, we don't know at this point. I mean, it's we we had you know Adrian Martinez, Tommy Armstrong, uh, Taylor Martinez. They've all dealt with injuries, you know, uh, over the course of their careers. Uh, I I know I beamed with pride 
on Scott Frost, uh, you know, new head coach press conference day when he said, you know, we're not going to, I'm not going to adjust my game to the big 10. The big 10 is going to have to adjust, you know, to us. That was like, yeah, that's how things are going to be. And four years in, that's not how things are. <laughs> so hopefully, <laughs> you know, hopefully, uh, uh, there's enough, uh, humility to, to go back and, and make the necessary changes. Uh, Tyler, when we look at, you know, Whipple, Rayola, Mickey Joseph, uh, that's, that's three of the four. Let's talk a little bit about Donovan Rayola because we, we, ha- we mentioned him. I, I don't actually, I think we're just not mentioning him offensive uh, line coach now coming in, um, you know, Tell tell the folks who who you know maybe haven't been doing all the reading in the last twenty four hours since it was announced. Uh, you know his coaching pedigree. You know where he's coming from, what he's bringing to the table. Well, um, the name Raiola obviously rings a familiar bell to, uh, to Husker fans. Uh, Donovan's the uh, younger brother of Dominic. Um, played at Wisconsin. Uh, went undrafted in the league, spent, I think, uh, uh, three months. He played for the Omaha Nighthawks um, and then started his coaching career as an intern uh, at Hawaii. Um, then he, uh, or, uh, and then has been with the Chicago Bears now for, I believe, the past two years, two and a half years. So he's he's got a wealth of knowledge, wealth of experience. Um, I think that uh, uh, you've seen some of the linemen that have come through the Chicago Bears organization. You know, I wouldn't necessarily look at their record, but the, the lines that David Montgomery's had to run through, Khalil Herbert, you know, consistently getting pretty decent yardage. So um, I like the hire. I think uh, it's a fresh voice. It's a good voice. It's somebody who obviously knows knows how to coach the O-line, which is important. Um, and uh, sneaky side note, uh, his nephew is a uh, potential uh, – is a target in the 2023 class, Dylan Raiola. So I'm sure having that, that connection won't hurt us down the line, but – uh, first, we got to see how it translates on the field. Yeah, there's a, a worst case, you know, doomsday type of scenario where nothing works in 2022 and nobody's here. You know, this time next year, we hope that that is, you know, certainly not the case. Of, as we all do, you know, those of us who, you know, contribute, write, record, you know, talk, podcast, whatever, coordination, uh, and all the fans who, you know, read and listen to our stuff. And, and all the ones who don't, uh, we're all in this. We have differing opinions of how we think Nebraska should, you know, continue on this journey. But we all want the destination to be the same, uh, you know, conference championships, you know, in the hunt for, uh, you know, playoff contention, you know, national championships, et cetera. So we all have the same goal in mind. It's just, unfortunately, we have, you know, like, like so much of society, we're, we're very divided on how uh, we should get there. Uh, you mentioned Dylan, uh, who also, I, I believe, is a heck of a baseball player as well. So uh, interesting uh, to see, you know, watch that unfold here in the next year. 
or so. Uh, the big thing certainly is that we're just a week or two away from the early signing period. So obviously, you know, Frost and company had to get out early or, you know, be busy since the end of the season and make these connections, you know, get these things in place. Um, let's, let's just jump right into it. Transfer portal quarterback rumors. I just want to, I just want to go. I just want to get in there. I just want to dive in there. Um, let's talk names and who wants to lead off because this is going to be this is going to be a juicy topic ladies and gentlemen Brian I'll go ahead and jump in um, yes. I actually watched I watched uh, you know for those who might not know um, I've covered the NFL draft for the last 10 years um, for a couple of different websites currently at the huddle report and then uh, just recently joined with the coordination and doing covering the Huskers and the NFL draft. So I, this summer broke down Spencer Rattler, who's a name that's out there. Um, so I've watched a few of his games. Uh, Miles Brennan's the other name that's out there. I actually just watched his game tonight versus uh, Vanderbilt. And then uh, was it Zach Gibson from Akron? Um, he is coming in this weekend, if I'm not mistaken. Um, on a visit, I watched three. I only got through three series of his game, so I, I've got a chance to watch those three. I, to be honest with you, I would be excited. I'd be happy getting any of those three. Um, they're all a little bit different of prospects, but I think if Nebraska landed any of the three, um, I, I, I would be very optimistic for it. Hey. You mentioned Spencer Rattler. Um, obviously, lost the starting you, job at, at Oklahoma uh, this past season. I don't know. Maybe it was reading things in in the our Coronation Slack chat room about the possibility of him going also out to the Pac-12, just so he could potentially stick it to uh, Lincoln Riley for benching him. I think it's a bad uh, career decision to. Uh, you know, try to to base your entire future off the possibility of of one game, uh, which may or may not go in your favor. Um, but Spencer Rattler's sort of a polarizing figure uh, in college football because um, you know while while the talent is there, I, again uh, I'm paraphrasing Slack chat room conversation, but I feel like his personality is uh, a complete 180 of what Nebraska fans. Nebraska teammates in that locker room are used to in Adrian Martinez. Uh, would, would one of you guys be willing to speak on, on maybe just the personality of a Spencer Rattler uh, on the field talents and, and gifts? Yes. But, but maybe some of the, uh, some of the negative aspects of, of what that might mean uh, for the Huskers if, if he ended up in Lincoln. Well, for the people who aren't familiar with the uh, Netflix show QB1, uh, which follows uh, uh, highly touted quarterbacks and their journey from their, fr- or their, their senior year of high school to the transition that they're about to make into college, Spencer Rattler was one of those quarterbacks on that particular show. Um, and there are several instances where you see uh, – the immaturity, the blaming of, you know, teammates on his on his team for not running certain routes or not being as good at 
as he was and being cocky and arrogant. And I understand that's a 17, 18 year old kid. You know, I think we all had a little bit of cockiness and arrogance to us at that age. We felt it, uh, indestructible, uh, and invincible in a certain way. And, you know, you add on top of that, that you're a quarterback for, a uh, uh, very powerhouse type team in, uh, in Arizona. So, um, do I think maybe he's matured a little bit and had to take a slice of that humble pie being in Oklahoma? I do. But I think there's also a piece of him, too, that hasn't quite matured, hasn't quite grown up. And I wonder how he would respond to the the scrutiny of being a quarterback here if he was to be a quarterback here. I mean, Adrian handled it, handled it with class and dignity when there were, you know, plenty of instances for him to uh, deny interviews, shut down completely um, and, and just walk away and, and not deal with that. And I wonder how somebody like Spencer would handle that type of situation, not saying that OU doesn't have those type of things, but I being in the fishbowl that is Nebraska Husker sports uh, and being around it as a fan, uh, I can only imagine what it's like for the players, you know, being in that fishbowl and having to deal with that. Tyler, you make a good point. Um, and, and it's no secret, you know, we, yeah, we've got Kansas city chiefs and Royals are, are nearby. Creighton is Creighton. Uh, Ew. I have to mention it just because they're in the vicinity, yeah. but, it, but it's not, it's not an Oklahoma, Oklahoma state situation because Creighton doesn't have football. Um, and also right there in, you know, in Oklahoma, probably within driving distance or pony express distance from Norman, you have Oklahoma city. So you've got the thunder, uh, you know, there, there are other sports options, but yeah, it's a different ball game when you're in Nebraska because the Husker sports and, and, you know, yeah, even the last 20 years, Husker football is the lifeblood of the state. It is, it is our identity. You know, I say that you know, I'm an outsider looking in, I'm in Illinois right now, but I spend t- time and I identify as a, as a Husker fan. Uh, but it is our identity. So if, if you're not ready for it, it, it may almost makes you wonder, and I'm not, I'm not taking sides. I'm not saying that uh, Bo was right, but it does make you wonder how any 18 year old would commit to go to Nebraska. Um it, under the circumstances that we've seen the last 10, 15 years where, you know, it's been largely negative. There hasn't been, you know, we're, we're the glory days, the, the, the bloom is off the rose. Um, and, and so it's, it's a tough place. You know, you've got to compartmentalize and you've got to just move on and take your lumps, I guess. And, you know, to, you know, not to say that they're we're completely blame free as fans, but you know, we as we have said on coronation from day one, don't tweet at the players. You know, if you if you have a, a beef, tweet at us. We'll filter your thoughts in a more productive manner. We'll discuss them on, on the site or on the podcast, something like that. But there's you know no reason to be tweeting at players, honestly, good or bad. Uh, but that's not how it works in the recruiting world because. You know, you have all those 16, 17-year-old kids like, where are all my Husker peeps at? Let me get a follow or, you know, whatever whatever it is they say. Um, 
So uh, I forgot the original point that I was trying to make here. So, yeah, um, it's, just, uh, yeah it's, it's different. A lot, it's, of, it's a lot different. of scrutiny, a lot of scrutiny. You're right. You're right, Tyler. Right. Uh, so, yeah. And, oh, go ahead. No, 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 Brian, please. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree a lot with what Tyler said. Um, I, I'm also it, it's tough to base a lot of opinions on watching a, a, a kid on a reality, a high school kid on a reality show. Uh, but I, I, I love that show. I'm disappointed. Season four hasn't been out yet. Um, they had like Bryce young, I think was on it, but uh, watching that show. I mean, you, you saw the guys that were like Spencer Rattler. It was him and Tate Martell. And we've seen the, the drama and all whatever that's gone with Tate Martell. And then you look at the guys, the other guys that were on the show that have had that success, Justin Fields and Sam Hartman, those guys on that show showed leadership. They built their teammates up. They, they elevate, you know, they were people gravitated towards them. Spencer, you know, once again, 18 year old kid who's ultra talented and, and probably everyone gives him what he wants. Cause he's so talented, you know, he tore people down and, and then, so you got to hope. And, and one of the things, I guess, you know, I, I'm open for him coming here because he's talented. And I'm hoping that that's just a TV show. He's matured since then, like we all hopefully have um, from high school. But he also was around Jalen Hurts at, at Oklahoma. And Jalen Hurts, if you, you ask anybody about him, is one of the best leaders out there. And so hopefully being in that quarterback room with him, seeing how Hurts does it, um, going to you know college football playoff, getting drafted in the second round, um, saw how he did it, and maybe some of that stuff through osmosis or whatever comes in, and and hopefully you know he, he got served a, a big piece of humble pie, and he's motivated and willing to go out and put in the work and, and rehash his image because let's be real, he wants to go to the NFL. He his his plan this year was to have a good year and go to the NFL. Cause there was talk of him potentially being the number one overall pick. I didn't like him that high, but that's where he wants to go. And if he wants to get there, he needs to rehash that image, rehash his, his playing career. And, you know, maybe Nebraska in a one year scenario could, could really benefit from that. We spent a lot of time talking about Spencer, um, probably because it's the name that most Husker fans are familiar with, especially with, you know, the, the home and home, uh, series with Oklahoma this year and next. Let's talk a little bit about Miles Brennan uh, entering the transfer portal from LSU. Uh, you know, according to Google, 6'4", 207. Um, but what what happened with Miles? Is it uh, is it just the the coaching staff turnover that that has him? looking elsewhere what were there other circumstances the do either of you guys know uh that that led to him jumping in the portal he had a couple of injuries uh, um, i think yeah injuries so he yeah he had he had, he had a bro- abdominal injury uh that cost him his so the year that joe burrow left and he was supposed to take over for him uh, he had an abdominal injury that kept him out that game that season. I should say like he missed like half of it, I think if I'm not mistaken. And then this off season, he, he broke his left arm. 
Um, and what I read was like a freak, like fall during a workout. And so coaching changes, the other guys playing over them. That's the vibe I got. I don't know how, I mean, other, what, what else is out there, but that, that's kind of the vibe I got. Definitely seems like there's uh, multiple factors playing into, um, you know, his decision. And lastly, Zach Gibson, um, not to be confused with the Zach Gibson who plays for Southern Illinois University Carbondale, uh, a proud FCS uh, uh, program from the Missouri Valley Conference. No, no. Uh, this one comes to us from uh, Akron, uh, you know, potentially comes to us from Akron. But let's, let's not get crazy. Um, it would be the first time that uh, Akron player played in uh, Memorial Stadium. <laughs> yeah yeah um interesting interesting kid kind of was a name that sprung up on us uh got sprung up on us um about middle of the week saying that he was gonna or beginning of this week that he was going to be taking a visit this uh this weekend you know six three two fifteen um was the starter for all of this year and uh, the COVID year, decent numbers. I mean, a very he's a pro. He's a pro style passer. Um, does have some mobility, um, but uh, I think you see kind of the direction that um, that I think Frost and Mark Whipple want to go if uh, if they're going to do this the right way. I think they're going to look for that Kenny Pickett the next Kenny Pickett, so to speak, the one that's got some mobility, that's got uh, good arm strength, uh, can make all the throws, and, uh, you know, balance that with a, with a good running attack. So, you know, we can see what, uh, see what his visit brings, and, you know, he might be the guy. Let's talk uh, – this is, this is times where I wish Haas was available. Uh, because Haas loves getting nitty gritty lineman stuff. Uh, back to Donovan Rayola. You know, we talked about his pedigree. Um, what, in your guys' opinion, what makes a really good offensive line coach? I mean, I, I think it's just developing the guys because when you look at offensive linemen, a lot of them are just raw. They may have good traits, like good athletic traits with their lot of quickness and their strength and that. But I think when you, when you transition from the high school level to, to the college level, it's all about development. And I think the best offensive linemen or offensive line coaches are the best teachers. Um, so I think that's, I think that's why a lot of, I shouldn't say a lot of people. That's why if there's criticism out there for Donovan Rayola, it's that he hasn't been there. Hasn't been at that. Um, you know, you mentioned you're, you're a Steelers fan and didn't know that Mark Whipple is the quarterback's coach. I'm a Bears fan, and I didn't know that Donovan Raiola was their assistant offensive line coach. Um, and But he he played a big part in um, in Sam Mustafer, who's their the Bears starting center. He was an undrafted free agent out of, out of Notre Dame, and he kind of developed into their starting center. And, and they've got Cody Whitehair from Kansas State. They've got James Daniels from that, that school in Iowa. Um, and th those interior guys have played well. And that's, you know, you would think maybe Donovan had that, that experience working with those guys. I know he's, 
He's coached a few times. Juan Castillo is the Bears offensive line coach, very well respected in the NFL. And he Castillo missed a, a game or two um, because of COVID. And Ryle filled in, and the Bears line played well in those games. So, uh, you know, it, it's a it's a you know kind of a long shot. There's other names that that kind of got mentioned, but. You know, he's taking a chance on a young guy that, you know, maybe, you know, who knows how good he can be as a, uh, running his own uh, offensive line room. Real quick here, because uh, uh, Zoom has informed me, peek behind the curtain, Moneybags Johnston pays for Zoom, so he's allowed to record unlimited. Uh, I'm, I'm working on a, on a shoestring budget over here, so we're, we're under 10 minutes. Uh, want your guys' take on Mickey Joseph before we wrap things up. Obviously, this is old news. Uh, this is last week's news cycle. Uh, but what is what is the possibility or the connection? You know, again, coming from LSU, Miles Brennan coming from LSU. So there's some familiarity there. Uh, how does that does that? play a part. I almost feel like it has to, you know, to, to an extent. Um, but what is, what is your guys hope for Mickey Joseph on the staff uh, in the coming year? My hope is that he uh, accentuates the talent that's already in place at the program. I think we've seen uh, glimpses of it throughout this season and even some into the COVID year. We saw what Xavier Betts is capable of. We saw what Omar Manning is capable of. Um, didn't really get a chance to see much of Oliver Martin because he was banged up most of the year, except he was returning punts. Uh, but you've got the young guys, the Katarian Legrones, the, uh, the Latrell Nevels, who, are, who already has kind of a rapport with, with Mickey Joseph. He tried to recruit him to LSU. And uh, you can see on Twitter that Latrell was very uh, – uh, very excited to get a chance to work with Mickey. So I think that's the big thing is what can Mark Whipple and uh, Mickey Joseph come up with in the passing game to uh, accentuate the talent that I feel like we've seen glimpses of, but we haven't seen, you know, the full, you know, the full package of. I feel like, uh, and correct me if I'm speaking out of turn, uh, the biggest thing, the the raw materials are there. Now it's just about refining and developing, you know, right. and, and that is where uh, some elements of the pre, you know, uh, staff previously dropped the ball. Uh, it, it, I'll, I'll say this. I, you know, I will miss Adrian Martinez. Um, I won't miss announcers continually mistakenly call him Taylor Martinez. Um, but I will miss Adrian. The kid had nothing but heart and guts and, and some legs arm sometimes between the ears, sometimes, you know, uh, a, a little infrequently. Um, but he was all, he was all hard. He, he gave everything. The problem was, I think the coaching staff failed him, uh, at times. And, and so I think his progress plateaued. Uh, and his growth was stunted to an extent. So I'm very excited for this new group of coaches to get in, get to work early. I want, hey, I want a quarterback who's going to make good decisions with the football. Uh, you know, and and poor Logan Smothers, that safety in the Iowa game, 
Uh, he, he, he had nothing. He, he was getting, that was going to be a safety, whether he threw the ball or not, you know, but uh, it also wasn't entirely his fault that we ended up in that position. Um, just make some sound decisions with the football, uh, get rid of it a little sooner. And if you're under pressure, you know, throw it away or have the ability to make a few plays with your legs. I don't want, you know, and this has been our, our complaint, I think all season long or last couple of seasons is that your quarterback shouldn't be your leading rusher. And we had that a little too often. Uh, so uh, we're running out of time, guys. Just, you know, quick, quick wrap up thoughts, uh, Tyler, as far as, uh, you know, some of these new additions to the coaching staff. Uh, be interesting to see, but they, they haven't announced uh, running backs or potential special teams yet. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out in the next few days. Hopefully we'll get an answer by Friday. Um, and then, yeah, just, Get ready for that uh, early signing period. See what you can do. Brian. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we said at the beginning, these weren't maybe the most sexiest hires out there, but um, I, I'm really in, intrigued and, and anxious to see, you know, um, really breaking down or kind of really looking at what Whipple does on offense. I think it really complements the, the, the weapons that we have here. You know, I saw plays that I could see Omar Manning making. I saw – plays that got uh, Alante Brown going down the field. I saw, you know, he, he highlighted the tight end position and, you know, maybe that's Thomas Fedoni um, making those plays. So, uh, you know, yeah, I would, you know, getting Zach Hill from Arizona state, or I, I really wanted Willie Korn from coastal Carolina, but mm-hmm. I think, I think what Whipple does and I, and I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, just his experience I think is going to help frost out the fact that he's been a head coach before the fact that he's been in the NFL before the fact that he's coached for, you know, however many years, I think that experience, you know, cause frost is still very young as a coach. I mean, he coached, you know, this is what his six years as a head coach. This was you know. his sixth. Yeah. Yeah. So he's still, you know, really young as a head coach and, you know, one of the downfalls of bringing in all these guys that you've you've coached with before is you all think alike. And so I think having a guy like Whipple, who maybe it doesn't have the most innovative offense out there, just having that experience, seeing different things at the different levels, I think will will really help out. Um, I like the, the Mickey Joseph hire. You know, you look at Donovan Ryle has not been a recruiter. Mark Whipple's not known as a good recruiter. So Mickey Joseph is known as an elite recruiter. And so he's out there. He's, he's getting a lot of buzz. Players really like him. Um, I, I think that he's, he's a key because when you don't have guys in that coordinator position and that you need an ace recruiter. And I think Mickey Joseph is that guy. Definitely looking forward to another interesting off season uh, for the Huskers uh, early signing days, very uh, rapidly approaching. It's not going to be long before the February signing days here and then spring football to follow. Uh, so we're going to do, we continue to do a coordination in the five heart podcast and that's continue to bring you content. And Hey, if the spring game goes horribly, that just means that the coordination articles are going to be equally as entertaining on the other side, just probably not football related. So uh, Tyler, Brian, want to thank you guys uh, for your time this week, joining us. Thanks uh, to our earlier guests, uh, Todd and Beth, and uh, that'll do it for this episode of the five heart podcast. I'm Greg Mahochko. We remind you this week and every week that five heart is all the heart you need. And if I can get you guys uh, to get a little go big red, 
I'll be real happy. Go Big Red. Go Big Red. <laughs>